0: Tettleton, and I am the 2023 Global President of the Women's Energy Network, also known as WEN. WEN is focused on developing a community of energy professionals across the world who are connected locally and networked globally. This podcast is yet another way for WEN to feature our talented members in the energy community. I hope you can learn something new and enjoy your time with us today. Hello everyone. Beth Goldcrawler here. Welcome to this episode of The Win Podcast and The Chemical Show. To switch it up a bit, we have a podcast swap for you as Cara Byrne, Maggie Taliska, and myself share the mic with Victoria Meyer, host of The Chemical Show Podcast. Since we are introducing both podcasts to new audiences, we wanted to take a moment to share a bit about each of our podcasts. Cara, why don't you start by telling us a bit about The
1: Win Podcast? Sure. Thanks, Beth. The WEN podcast is our virtual arm of programming for the Women's Energy Network, aka WEN. Our purpose is to share industry information, knowledge, and leadership tips from women and men across the world who are working in and advocating for energy. This year, we are celebrating the energy industry by diving into powerful leadership journeys, emerging technologies in energy, and providing an alternate resource for professional development. I'm excited because this is our first collaboration with another podcast besides the WEN podcast, and it's with one of WEN Houston's executive members, Victoria Meyer. Thank you for joining us today, Victoria. Why don't you tell us a little bit about The Chemical Show before we get kicked off?
2: Thanks for having me to be part of this. I think it's great for us both to be swapping podcasts, as they say. So the chemical show launched in 2021, and it gives a voice to leaders across the chemical industry and serves as a space to showcase innovation, insight, and great leadership. Each week, I interview executives from across the industry talking about some of the key trends that we're all facing, right? So supply chain, sustainability, digitization, and more. And really just to get a chance for how different leaders in different companies are tackling some of the same challenges we're each facing. So far, we've We've published 120 episodes and we've got more to come.
3: So, as I understand, Kara and Victoria were fortunate to connect on LinkedIn, even though they probably could have done it easier if they'd both just attended a WEN Houston executive event at the same time. After some discussions, we thought there'd be a natural overlap in topics that we cover in our podcast. And from that collaboration, we decided to do a joint podcast so we could each get a different perspective on the conversations we've been having separately. I'm excited to learn more about The Chemical Show today, but also to reflect back on our journey through the WEN podcast season so far. 7-11. And I'm excited to be here as well. So,
2: you know, one of the places we're going to start is Origin Story. So I've been in the chemical industry and in, in really downstream energy for my entire career um, at companies, including Shell, Clarion, and a predecessor to Lionel Bissell, and, and really just got interested in the industry, fascinated by it. And then a few years ago, launched my own business called Progressio Global, where I go back and I consult with executives in chemical companies to help them execute their strategies in a more customer-centric and effective way. And then two years ago, started the Chemical Show. And then this year, we are launching a conference actually called the Chemical Summit. So somewhere in this, um, this whole journey of energy chemicals has been part of my heritage and my career. And as I said, I really like to start each episode with your origin story. So, so let's do this. I'm going to start with Beth and just say, you know, what's your origin story? What got you interested in energy and what's kept you here?
0: So, I don't have a very linear path into energy. I am a native of Houston, Texas, and so I joke that I tripped into the energy industry by accident. Working in the energy sector was my second career. I enjoyed the corporate culture of my firm at the time and opportunities to collaborate with amazing minds on exploration and development projects. I never turned down a career challenge, especially when challenges took me completely out of my comfort zone. i always wanted to travel the world, and I did. In support of deep water drilling campaigns, I crawled across pipe and completion strings to tally up inventory on site in Southeast Asia, North and West Africa, the Middle East, I rotated through the firm's internal audit organization and I developed supply chain tests where we optimized vendor spin and contract management. I investigated fraud, sometimes resulting in heated situations. I dabbled in revenue accounting, supply chain management, and I ultimately moved into a corporate risk role that supported all of the offshore portfolio. My career journey continues in my current role where I enjoy convening and connecting industry leaders
1: to enable best business practices and holistic risk management. You are correct when you say it's not linear. I'm interested to hear what Maggie has to say because, like... (laughs) I think it's a little bit more linear, but not quite. And I also know some of the stories, so I like it.
3: Yeah. Because if you're an avid listener of this podcast, Cara and I were on season one where Cara interviewed me. I don't know the episode, but it was your network is your net worth or vice versa. But Cara interviewed me on my career journey and um, also my involvement with when and how it helped progress that. But If you haven't heard that, here are the cliff notes. I have a couple degrees in chemistry, yet I do hate to cook. But I've worked in power and energy for uh, over 20 years. I started in fuel cells and then transitioned into batteries. Pivoted quite a few times in energy. It might be a little bit more linear than a roller coaster, and I'm terrified of adrenaline. So, But I've been in various roles and experiences, including sales, operations, product development. And now I have a great job in operations and maintenance for the big girl batteries or the battery energy storage systems that are currently operating operating in the ERCOT market very successfully, I might add. What I've learned through all of this is learning never stops. Always have to be evolving, always growing. Uh, Soft skills are my thing, and uh, they're just as vital as hard technical skills. Um, I've migrated companies, functions, roles, with most mostly with ease, I say, or at least I try to look like I have ease. But being a jack of all trades made me one heck of a a shapeshifter, and life will throw you curveballs, as it has in my case, between family and health. I won't say challenges but things that just kind of get in the way and you have to deal with. Um, but I've been pretty well around it to, to help give me what I think is an edge. So been there and done that. It's been a wild, somewhat linear, more more linear ride than bath. Got my limbs attached, but scars to show for it.
1: Victoria, you're getting better cliff notes than I got the first time I around. I'm just letting you know. Notes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so my cliff notes, I did not know what I wanted to be when I grew up, except for I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, The closest I've made it to that is I've gotten to Houston, and that's about it. So I was sent to engineering camp way back in high school because somebody thought I would be good at it, my physics teacher way back then. I went to the University of Wisconsin, and there, um, that was where the engineering camp was. I got exposed to all different types of engineering, and I had so much fun that week that I decided that was going to be my major. I declared mechanical engineering within the first six months of being at the school. I got out in four years and I started to work on big rotating pieces of equipment. I went into a company where we built large diesel engines, did rotate into lean manufacturing. Then immediately thereafter, I was in a rotational program and broke the program because I wanted to see what I was designing being built. I wanted to understand how it was built so I could explain what I was selling a little bit better. From there, I went into, as everybody knows who listens to the podcast, I went into GE, and I've spent my entire career with GE, now turned into Baker Hughes. It's always been in the energy sector of it. I worked on mega LNG projects. I worked on turbo expanders, always in a sales and commercial role. So an application engineer always adding contract or commercial management on top of it. So I would start learning the technical side, then expand out to the business side and be able to bridge the explanation or the negotiations of the contract for both sides. So I'd talk to the buyers and I'd talk to the engineers who were designing it. Still do that today, except now I lead a team. Because I realized I was really good at making that bridge and I learned that paying it forward and making good business people out of engineers means that the engineers can eventually take over the world. That's my whole theory in life. So, we will be there. We will be taking over the world. (laughs) But that's just because there are engineers out there that can speak, that can actually tell a story and uh, be really good business people at the same time because they can understand the technical risks that are involved along with the contractual risks of what we're selling. And then that loops in also the environmental risks and everything else about the entire energy solution that we're providing out there. While I may not have extreme lessons learned, I do learn that being in this role, teamwork makes the dream work. And I will say that till I die. It is my hashtag and I'm a master of all trades and a jack of all trades and um, depth as well as breadth is really important uh, when you're learning different roles. What about you, Victoria? Um I think that one of the things that I'm interested in is you are part of the WEN executive network uh, in Houston. We are both part of it. And I think we've met each other maybe once in person. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Right. We will meet each other this year. That is our goal in one of the upcoming events. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> exactly. Um, all of us have had WEN impact us in some way, shape, or form. I just want to know a little bit about how and why you got involved with WEN, what made it stick, and then we can also talk a little bit about it as well. But I think that uh, for me, WEN has really impacted my career because I was able to try some leadership stuff. Before I was a people leader, I've been volunteering for WEN for over 10 years, and I've gone local to the chapter, up to global. I've run a small business as president. So I got exposed to a lot of the stuff that maybe my company, being part of a large corporation, I wasn't able to do. What does WEN bring to your life?
2: Yeah. So so my WEN journey is not uh, seamless. How's that? First got exposed to WEN probably at least 20 years ago and went to a luncheon or two with some colleagues but it was weird because i never actually felt invited to join and to be part of it and i think part of this is maybe i've always been downstream i'm a downstream chemicals person unabashedly and so i thought when was interesting see a lot of value there was a lot of great people around but it didn't seem to fit into my world, my business, my what I was doing personally. It's about twenty-five years ago, though. You know, I think in in part of the pivot is you know started my entrepreneurial journey with my own business. Was also just a lot more confident in terms of where I was. I decided to give when another try. Right, so there was some uh, luncheon, or I went to a luncheon or two um, downtown Houston. And the topics were interesting, I wanted to get to know the people, but the thing that really impacted me was meeting a person, um, which was Susie Knight. I happened to be there chatting and she's like, hey, who are you? And we chat and she's like, you need to come join the executive group. And I'm like, what executive group would that be? Um, And she actually encouraged me to apply for executive membership. And once I got in, I was like, oh my gosh this is my people. I found a really thriving network of executive members who look like me, talk like me, facing some of the same things. We can encourage each other. We can laugh together. And we've really built a great relationship. I think it's to me, it's just one of these lessons learned that timing is everything and that you have to give things multiple tries because you show up at an event and the event may not stick, but then you show up at another one and it does. Um, And so for me, I really like the fact that, one, we've got just a great variety of strong women in the organization, both at the executive level and across all of WEN, um, navigating some of the same challenges, coming together to learn, to grow, to develop, and really to make a presence because I know many times I have been the only woman in the room. You guys have been the only women in the room, I'm sure. And so it's nice to know that you're not the onlys in a
1: bigger construct. We are the only women in this room today, but that's oh, okay that's true today. <laughs> today. Exactly. And that's the beauty of when too, is we get to feel the flip side of it. Um, I think it's funny because 2018, I was actually when Houston's president and Susie was also the person who brought me into when way back in 2013. So just FYI, we have a lot more in common than we even knew about Victoria, but one of the, Beautiful things I've also recognized about When is that When is across 25 different chapters now and ever growing. We have more on the horizon, and so I was able to meet Beth and Maggie, but but Maggie first through many virtual events when we went COVID. So Maggie, what about you? What has When brought to you besides like a whole new career? Because if you go back again to
3: that episode, you'll hear that how I kind of used When to you know to really you know get to know my new company. So I interviewed them as they interviewed me, but I came into When. It's talk about being the only woman in the room. I was at a battery and bruise event, which should have been a battery and Bros event. And I love the story that I was networking in the women's bathroom with probably the only other woman there. And she was part of Wen Boston. So she talked about it and, you know, I joined that night. Fortunately, Allison from when Boston followed me around the first, the first thing and said, we need you, you know, to join the board. And, you know, I had had the calm communications part down. I'd been writing for um, Axios, their expert voice series. And you know, I used when like Cara was saying, to try something new, and I applied for the marketing and communications. I figured, okay, I got the comms down. Why not try the marketing? And it was a wonderful experience. I feel like I learned how to be a marketing person. So much so that then Kara came to me and volunteered me that I would be the marketing director for the conference. And think I did an okay job at that. So yeah, using WEN to, to hone new skills, to try new things. Um, I'm always trying to hone my finance skills. So the last year I was part of one Boston. I was their treasurer just to, again, get more exposure to that in a non-work setting. But due to COVID, a lot of us had moved up north of Boston. And if you're not from Boston, even if you move five miles outside of the city, it can take two hours to get to the city. Uh, so with that, we did found the 25th WEN chapter, which is when Northern New England, which includes vermont maine and new hampshire with four incredible wonderful women and uh so we've been working working on that but then i'll say i am moving to south carolina in a couple of months and um i did use when and the carolinas chapter to get a wonderful real estate agent that i'm talking to next week so, so i already have friends down there and i have connections and
1: it's great so. I think that's the, I mean, that's the fun part about when is we are everywhere yes. in, uh, especially in North America, hopefully eventually we'll get overseas and we'll see that Beth. What about you?
0: So I'm of similar to Victoria. I when you said 20 years, I'm like, that's a while ago. I'm like, nope, that's my first one event probably 20 years ago. I went To a luncheon downtown, um, one of our senior leaders, one of the few female senior leaders, was being featured. And so a bunch of us went to just kind of support her. She did not need the support, it was a huge event, it was great. But at the time I was traveling, nine months out of the year, and it just, it wasn't conducive to joining. When I moved from Houston to the New York City area in 2018, I thought, okay, you know, let's let's see what this chapter is like locally, and it's just, it's so interesting to see the makeup of the chapters and how it differs. You know, when I was in Houston at the time, I felt like the chapter, it had a lot of technical, like what I consider geophysicists, geologists, you know, a lot of engineers, which was really cool, supply chain professionals, accountants. But up here, our chapter is more focused on finance and legal, you know, for obvious reasons. And it was just interesting to see that dynamic. Well, I went to one event and then COVID hit. And I signed up to be a mentor at that event. And I thought, for sure, you know, so much is going on, right? I'm like, surely they are not going to have mentor programs during COVID. We did. And it was amazing. And I think that's what pulled me in. You know, it was nice to have these colleagues that were, you know, a little bit more than a colleague because you could be honest about sharing your experiences in the workplace or just in general. And the way the mentor program is set up, that it circles, I really enjoyed that format. So I had a peer. We were the mentors. We had mentees, but everyone learned from one another. And it was just a really unique experience. And it's, of course, as soon as we were allowed to have events again, it was like gangbusters. But it's funny. I've joked with Maggie and Cara before, you know, I I spent, you know, 10 months knowing these people and then you meet them and you see how tall they are and you think, oh, I should hug them. Oh, wait, we've never met in person, you know, but she already had these connections, which was amazing. When Cara talked about the podcast, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And now, lo and behold, I'm helping out with the conference. I cannot wait for the conference next year in April. So, just I'm already plugging it. It's not even out there yet, but it's, it's just really rewarding to see how all of these local chapters continue to grow, and you can see people's careers evolve and grow
2: as well. I think so. Well, and I, what I think is interesting from everybody's um, story about when is just the diversity that exists inside of when, right? When you think about uh, the types of work that people do, but also. Again, I think 20 years ago, when I first got introduced, it was all about oil Mm -hmm. um, and traditional energy. And obviously today, with the energy transition um, and just the different interests that parties have, it's about more than petrochemicals and petroleum. It's batteries and solar and wind and other things. And I think that will just continue to help when and its members evolve. I know that the When podcast started in 2020 with the Denver chapter, and it's really grown and expanded from there. Can you guys share how it's developed and how you actually came to be the hosts? Because that's also a recent thing for you.
1: I think I can. I can take a jab at the, at least the origins of it, and then um, they've already Beth and Maggie have already alluded to how they became the hosts because of my. Sp- spectacular recruitment skills apparently through the WEN organization. The podcast host back in the day was Sally Hallingstad. She was the WEN Colorado president and she was rolling onto the board of directors at WEN Global. I was programs director going in to be the president-elect of WEN Global and we started chatting and we said you know what we think that the podcast shouldn't just sit at the Colorado or the Denver area, right? It really should be much more about what is the energy market as a whole. They kind of did their thing locally. Still a lot more to untap there, as you guys will see in upcoming episodes of of the WEN podcast. But we wanted to get voices from other chapters involved as well. Uh, We brought it up to WEN Global. Sally was still the host. Eventually, she realized that she wanted to have more voices come in. So it started out where other people were hosting podcasts. She was there more as a facilitator. But what we realized when we had multiple hosts, we lost the connection with the people that were hosting. So we decided then that Sally would be the host and she'd bring in two co-hosts. So the three of them, it was Sally, Sarah, and Sarah started talking about uh, not just The people in energy, which is really the focus to begin with on the podcast, but also like you said, the technologies, what's coming next the leadership trends that were happening out there. So we had kind of three different genres, the journeys, the leadership trends, and the technologies that were evolving. And last year, they did all of their hosting, Sally, Sarah, and Sarah, and they were super excited, but all, almost all three of them got new jobs in the last year. <laughs> and so they said, you know what? It's time for us to step back. We're a little burned out. I was going into president, past president, and I said, you know what? I love talking to people. I want to stay connected with Wen, but I don't necessarily want to run the organization anymore. <laughs> and I also don't want to do the recordings. And do the editing and all of that. So I was like, I need people on the journey with me if I want to continue this podcast. I think it's something that we've all fallen in love with at WEN. I asked Maggie uh, because we were already remotely connected. Um, Like I said, at the leadership transition meeting last year, where each year WEN has a brand new set of leaders come in. So the leaders of today will not be the leaders of 2024. Some of them will stay, but most of them will rotate off. So about half of the leaders rotate off every single year for every single board that we have. And so we're here to give a little bit of consistency and bring together the stories of all the different chapters that we have out there. And Beth was able to raise her hand to bring a different perspective. We wanted three totally different people. (laughs) who got along, um, and we started doing
2: that. Were you guys podcast listeners before you jumped onto the Win podcast train?
1: Um, yes. yes, but the podcasts that I listened to were Guilty Pleasures, and uh, apparently were only teaching me how to take over the world because they had to do with, like, dictators and history and stuff. So. <laughs> oh,
0: you mean?
2: <laughs> Other podcasts, so yes. While in, while people are very good at uh, voluntold and voluntelling. Yes. Yes.
0: yes. Oh my gosh. I do listen to other podcasts. Yeah. I thought you meant the win. No, but as soon as Kara talked about the podcast, I started listening to it
1: before I even knew there was opportunities to, to join in, but. What Absolutely. about you, Victoria? Like, yeah. what made you start the, the chemical show? Cause it's a lot of work for one person. Like we're, we're work. a lot of work with three people. How is it? One, with you? <laughs>
2: yeah. one person. Well. So, so I actually, I have a team that helps me. So that's the good news. But you know, I, I started listening to podcasts like five years ago. I remember the first time somebody told me that they listened to a podcast was my brother-in-law. And he talked about how he listened to this sports podcast every day on the train ride home. And I'm like, what in the holy heck are you talking about? Like, who does that stuff? All of a sudden, I became one of those people that does that stuff, not the daily podcast. But I I started listening to podcasts when I was driving to clients and stuff and really fell in love with the medium. So podcasting is so personal. It's personal. It's the opportunity to really connect and a lot of storytelling. And I saw where its potential was. I wanted to get started and I wasn't really sure what it was what it's gonna do. But then in a moment of clarity, so I was, I was literally on a walk listening to a podcast, I don't know which one, during in November of 2020, I was on a goal setting retreat with my husband. And it really came to me, I'm like, let's just keep it simple, the chemical show. I got back to our hotel room, I bought the website immediately. Three days later, I had a had a conversation with one of my business mentors who got me introduced to a, a production company, and away we go. It just is something that I, what I think is it's, we are at the front end of a new media, um, a very personal media. And with podcasting, we have the power of storytelling. For me personally, when I think about the voices in the industry, and I think this is true for the Wynn podcast as well, we're able to bring voices into podcasting that aren't getting playtime on Mm -hmm regular media or industry media or, you know, anywhere. So it's this opportunity to tell different stories, share different insights. There's, you know, thousands of companies in energy and chemicals, many of whom people don't actually know about. um, And it's an opportunity to tell those stories.
1: Opportunity to put a face to the industry like many faces. Okay. Virtual faces, at least a voice to the industry. Maybe we'll leave it at that with the podcast. But also, like you said, the storytelling, it humanizes the energy industry. And as we transition to the future of energy, whatever it is, wherever it goes, there's going to be controversy. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be solutions that are provided that everybody needs in their everyday life. But what this does is it shows that there are real people behind these decisions that are trying to do good in the world and, and trying to balance all these risks and different requirements and needs of everybody in the entire world. Yeah. I think that's I agree. fun
2: i want to turn this to, you know, what's been something interesting or insightful? You know, Maggie, maybe let's start with you. What have you learned learned from the podcast?
3: Episode 52, we had Julie Brown on uh, for Mastering Your Network. And, you know, we always end it with, what do you want the listeners to know? And she comes out with, you know what? I'm not an avocado and neither are you. And what she was talking about is that we don't in our careers ripen for a set amount of time and then just wither away in Brown, right? Like she had pivoted her career, you know, literally. Later on in life and and has a great new career as a keynote speaker. And we all can have that. And I, you know, especially I've been through changes. I've been through health changes, things like that. And I've been able to pivot being a, a jack of all trades, be able to get into a different industry, a different company, into a different role and be successful despite those changes. So I'm not an avocado and neither are any of you. <laughs>
1: That's our awesome. <laughs> new mantra. I am yes, not an right? avocado, <laughs> Beth. I'm curious what you've learned.
0: I feel like a recurring theme we address across several episodes. You know, as as we think about the energy transition, like Cara brought up, is that we need to use creative solutions and seize opportunities. When we think about the energy transition, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of risk. People think it automatically means increased cost. And, you know, they don't understand what the regulatory landscape might look like. But I think if we think about opportunities, you know, that, that's this common theme that we've heard throughout several of our episodes. So just case in point, there's clearly a desire to move toward electrification. We hear about that constantly, right? Um, you know, in 2030, you can't buy an ICE vehicle in the UK. You know, it's, it's, it's moving forward. It is, regardless of what you think about but we need cleaner energy sources to electrify. We need to boost up our infrastructure for sure to have any success moving forward in that direction. And so during our batteries episode our batteries make good neighbors episode, um, Emma talked about the current state of battery tech and how they're getting creative with the siding solutions for batteries, because they need to think about, you know, when they, when they're implementing these projects, how are they going to provide services to the grid? To a customer, to the market in general. And when you think about it from that angle, it makes the economics a lot more appealing from an investment standpoint. It's not necessarily that the technology the technology is improving for sure, but when you think about just at a very high level, it's getting creative with just
2: some simple solutions. It's 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 not a big changes that need to be made. I think there's two pieces to this for me. One, you know, tying in with what Beth is talking about with ESG and energy transition and just sustainability in general. I think one of the things that's come through is that the industry, energy and chemicals and downstream, needs to own the narrative, right? So we are far more efficient, effective, carbon-reduced, I'm going to use that as a phrase, um, than we were 20 years ago. We just haven't told people very effectively about that. So I think we're caught in a bind of our own creation. So that's, that's one piece. But the second piece is what I found is interesting is people, individuals, people that are listening to the podcast are really, truly, genuinely interested in how other leaders got where they're going and they're they're curious and they're interested in the stories behind that and so there's this example um of private equity owned company a leader that I talked to who he actually shared how the how he got to this the business that he was in that the he with the PE company had bought and he had interviewed something like 30 different private equity firms to find one that was a good match for what his vision and objectives and stuff were. And a colleague of mine from Shell had reached out and is like, oh my gosh, that was great. I did not know that that was how people did this, right? Or at least it it was just the power of the personal example. And so I think that comes through loud and clear. Interesting pieces, that individual who had reached out to me and said, hey, I didn't know that you could do this, is now leading a privately held company inside a major corporation, but still he he used some of those lessons to get where he wanted to go. And that opportunity wouldn't have been there um, had we not had the podcast and had the opportunity to, to ask this leader to tell a story. So it's just kind of cool.
1: That is cool. You know, one of the things that I've really liked plays off of what you just said is, is learning from the podcast and taking it. For me, uh, I really wish people understood that there's a huge pool of untapped talent out there that that people just may overlook because on a piece of paper, they haven't been actively working in the last two, three years. They took a career pause because of family, because of moving, because of whatever it was. Maybe maybe they just had a challenging time after uh, reductions in force, right? Everything like that. Anna McKay and what she's doing at Parents Pivot is is amazing work. She actually coaches and helps people get prepared to come back from career pauses. Funny story is after we held that episode, I was actually in the interview process. I was trying to hire people and I had three people that probably would not have made the slate before, um, but we were making sure to be very proactive on who we were allowing through at least for first interviews. and, And most of the people made it to like the second or third interview when we got to it got around to it, but these were people who were talented that had not worked for a few years. And a couple of them, I even connected over to Anna afterwards because I only had one position, but I, you know, I had to, I had to make the selection and these people are talented and you can tell that they use their, either their engineering skills or their business skills or their multitasking skills every single day. And it was funny because I remember my boss asking me, why, why do we have so many people that have been out of work like <laughs> in the interview slate? So like, that was his question. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm trying something new and I'm just trying Keep a very open mind in interviews because these people have different sets of skills that we are trying to do and they want to work, period. They want to work. And so... Yeah, it is refreshing, and and the talent that's out there, I was surprised. Like like I said, I immediately went in to try it. My t- talent recruitment team was on board with it, and and being able to connect the people to a tool after the fact, uh, to an organization like Parents Pivot was fun too, because at least then it could see that I was I was genuinely interested in what they did and their success, even though I couldn't like I can only hire so many people. But at the same point, uh, if I could have hired them all, why not? (laughs) I think that's, I think
2: it's interesting. So, so my assistant actually, when I hired her, she had been a stay at home mom for more than a decade, great skill set and background before she said, Hey, I need to take a pause. And so I was able to bring her in and and that was good. But I, I think the other piece that it's really easy for us to get, forget rather the effects of COVID. I think we've already forgotten how people had to stop working because their kids were home, right? Depending on what part of the world you live in, your kids weren't going to school. Somebody needed to be managing household. Maybe your job required you to be in person or maybe it required you to be home. Jobs were lost. Lives were changed. We went through this turmoil two and three years ago. And now today it's kind of blue skies and it's easy to forget. And yet I think there's probably a lot of people in the job market who have gaps, COVID-related gap, not yeah. just all the other gaps that have happened.
1: Exactly. And- I think we're starting. So there are impact. So we were forgetting. Yes, I 100% think we're forgetting. Uh, remember, I've been to the airport in different sections over the last year. And it's funny, each time I go, I think the last time I saw one person in a face mask, whereas like six months ago, I still would have seen about 30% of people in a face mask. So little things are changing daily on that that are may or may not be visible to you. But also, I think how our company is operator changing and and this goes to i think the risks that our companies are seeing and dealing with every single day. Yes, we've got like the supply chain, you know, whole di- fiasco of 2022. We've got inflation, we've got logistics all over the place. And those were identified top 5 priorities in, in what we did with protivity. They surveyed a bunch of energy and non-energy leaders in industry as a general and those were two of the risks. But the other- other three risks were all associated around culture. So I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that's really interesting because we see it. I think everybody is is talking about culture, positively, negatively, social media, not social media, news, (laughs) politics. It doesn't matter. Everybody is trying to normalize culture. The normalization isn't necessarily happening in the same direction for every single person, right? What's normal to me is not normal to you. I don't think, you know, there's nothing to say what's right or wrong or anything like that, but I do believe that companies with strong cultures, strong missions and visions are the companies that are starting to thrive because they're getting employees that are in line with their mission, with their vision. Uh, They can live the same cultural values as what their company is. And I think that's really important and it will remain being important moving forward. I think that that's something that we all need to be aware of and I'm glad that we talked about it, but one of the things I wanted to talk about and pivot the conversation to is what topics do you guys want to raise awareness on, right? Like for me, risk is not just about profit anymore. It is also about how we set up our companies and what is the culture that we're portraying out there. What about you, Beth? What topics are you seeing that you want to raise awareness on that are kind of the the trends out there right now?
0: I just like hearing Cara talk about risk more because I'm a risk nerd. But uh, beyond that, You know, I think that, I feel like I'm harping on this issue, but, you know, we keep bringing up this idea that industry-wide decarbonization is only going to be possible through collaboration. And I think that we need to have really good engagement with all of our stakeholders. So, I mean, there's one thing to say that oil and gas should decarbonize. But, you know, when we talked with Tisha and Katie on our decarbonization episode, we talked about all the different sectors, getting them involved. You know, we've, we've heard of co-sectoring, you know, maybe in Europe where they think about how they decarbonize and, you know, energy is co-sectoring with transportation to think about a holistic strategy to move forward. But I think it's still, it's having those right players in the conversation It's understanding the communities in which you operate. It's not just oil and gas, it's power. It's, it's, it's petrochemicals, it's transportation, it's all of those tangential service companies that support these sectors as well. And I think really understanding the role that industry plays, what energy does, what it can do, and then providing that transparency, I think, is going to be the only way to move forward any kind of energy transition in a meaningful way. It's akin to the industrial revolution. When's the last time we did something that the, it was this macro level, this coordinated? I'm not saying the industrial revolution was very coordinated, but I mean, just think about the long-term implications. We've never tackled a problem like this before. And I think the only way to move forward, it's not just oil and gas. It's not just traditional energy. However, however you define traditional energy, it's understanding all the different market players and changing behavior. And at a very strategic level and then involving everyone in the conversation. So it's not going to be done through one unilateral, you know, change in one sector. It's very collaborative. And I think that's one thing that I really want people to understand. You know, it's, it's, it's much more collaborative than that. I think it's it's not just picking on, you know, the, the big bad oil companies, you know, I, I'm an advocate for the good that they do and the opportunities that they seek as well.
2: So I have a bit of a contrarian view to you, Beth. I think the hidden risk is the law of unintended consequences. Um, My biggest concern is that we, we as a industry, as a country, as a Western world are chasing answers without understanding the negative effects of those solutions that come with it, right? So um, case in point, if you think about airplanes and airplane travel, uh, 20 years ago, when all of the airlines switched to plastic liquor bottles on the plane, so, you know, it used to be those little airline bottles of gin or whiskey or whatever it is that people would get that would be ser- were served in glass. And they switched it to plastic and saw a huge reduction in emissions and in fuel, right? So tremendous fuel savings because it went much lighter. We now have this push towards, well, let's get rid of plastic on the plane and go towards metal and glass. So because of the negative perceptions of plastic. So I think, and so then all of a sudden what happens, we start consuming more fuel again. So I think understanding not just the point, but the life cycle effects and the hidden risks, and is really critical because I, I feel like in some ways we're jumping to solutions without understanding what the real problem is. So that's, that's one piece. So that's my, that's my contrarian duty.
0: No, I don't think that's contrarian. I okay, think, good. I think that's important to highlight because we don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, we don't want to push the problem down the road. And we have talked about this before, a circular solution where you understand the full life cycle. And then, you know, electrification, I don't think it's the answer necessarily. That's
2: the market we're in right now. I mean, like, where's the electricity coming from, right? I mean, I, thank you. I wish people yeah, on the podcast I, could see all my hand motions.
0: But yes, well, but we'll on the nose, agree I
2: agree with video, you. so they will. Well, but yes. but the other piece, I think, the other trend that's emerging, and I think people are becoming aware of it, is the effects of the aging China demographic on demand and market assumptions. Right. So in My adulthood and most of my career, China has been the growth market and it's fueled growth from petrochemicals, for energy, for fuels, for consumables, et cetera. However, and and we see this in the news today, China is driving off a cliff and that's not really the right thing, but China's population is aging dramatically. Their demands are decreasing and it is not the growth engine that it once was. So um, John Richardson from ICIS his episode 102 is a great one where we talk about the effect of this aging China population and what it's going to do on markets. And I, I don't think we've come to grips with that because what it really tells us is we don't need as much stuff as we used to. Um, and we're in a world that's geared up for a lot of production and not less production. So it's going to be interesting to see where this goes.
3: You know, I go back to the Risk is a Dirty Word podcast we had with Ashley and Leslie. What was interesting there for me is that there were three words they used in one conversation that I've never heard before. One was agile, one was innovation, and one was risk. And I'm thinking, I've never heard those three. Usually one's against the other, one's against the other. But you know, when you're talking about life cycle of products, life cycle of, of the customer segments and the aging, you know, populations and things, you know, when you think about innovation, sometimes you don't get to do that, right? And what Ashley had kind of defined innovation as doing something different. And then she talked about using agile to be able to implement change quickly so we know we need to do something different we need to be able to implement it quickly and that then reduces the risk in certain situations so it's interesting there's like common threads and different things that we've brought up that we've learned but it's all about you know considering that whole picture and being able to implement change quickly amongst any of those spokes in those wheels that might change or might cause a cause a difference it was you know one of our pillars uh for this podcast is leadership skills and trying to bring in some things that our listeners can do in in terms of leadership and being better people ourselves. And I was uh, thrilled we were able to get Terry Trespicio on for one of our episodes, From Who to You? Terry was my writing instructor for a long time. And one of the things that she taught me, it's a rule in her writing club, is To not disclaim. Um, So, you can't disclaim your work before you read it because there's a feedback process where you go through what we like, that. And she said something, and I'll never forget. So, what do you mean when you say you can't disclaim? What does that mean? So, something I could say is, well, I have this idea. I don't know if it's like good or not, or if I'm writing an email. You guys probably discussed this before, but you know, it's that initial disclaiming, or you get up, oh, I don't think this presentation's really good, but you know, she said, you don't realize how much power you have in a room if you just say what you want to say without qualifying it, right? It's not fair to you. It's not fair to your listeners to say, hey, I really suck at this, but I'm going to make you listen anyway, right? So, you know, one of the things that we really learned from from her is don't disclaim. Whether you're writing, whether you're speaking, disclaimers should only go in legal work and that's it. So we all need to stop disclaiming. So without disclaiming, Victoria, anything in your podcast that you've learned um, from a leadership skill that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, it's really
2: the power of clarity and vision, um, both inside your organization and with your partners. So tying into what you talked about earlier about how it's challenging, um, when you talked about agile and innovation inside of a company, it's challenging. Well, what's become really clear to me is that the way that we're getting to green technologies, uh, low carbon technologies, is actually through partnership, through bringing in small agile companies and partnering. And the only way a partnership really works is if you're very clear and transparent and aligned. And so it's really that power of, I'm going to tie into you, not disclaiming um, and owning what your objectives are, and what what you're bringing to the table, and what you need your partners to bring to the table, is really critical.
1: Maggie, you said don't be afraid of iterative change, of agile change, of doing that in your previous thing. Victoria, you just said it's it's around clarity and making sure that you're aligned on where you want to go, what you want to do. Maggie, you were talking about not disclaiming. For me, what that says is we need to foster an inclusive environment where failing is acceptable. And by failing, what I mean is we need to be able to see failures as learning opportunities. And yes, to not necessarily celebrate them, but to look at them, see how we can not do that again or be better or be able to do that. And the way that we need to do that is through having safe leadership environments. And we've been talking about a lot about this at my company And I haven't brought it into the podcast yet, but I'm going to do it right now. Why not? Is that psychological safety of being able to allow your team to see failure in a different light and to be able to pivot and to iterate on everything that they do and learn as they go. And that's one of the most powerful things. If you can create that safety net and you can talk about not only your failures, but the failures of the team and how you guys can avoid them and get better and improve over time, what it does is it speeds up that turn and that agility and everything that happens, you know, your innovation becomes more and more an intrinsic part of your team when you start to do that. Um, And it all comes back back to, do you allow space for failure and do you allow space for talking about it on your team? And I think it's really important, it's, it's a leadership trait that I, I think everybody needs to invest more time in learning about, but also that we've talked about without actually putting a term to it in probably both of our podcasts, right? Making space for innovation and for failure and for everything that comes along with innovation as it goes through. I I really like that. And the thing that comes into my mind when you say this, it's risk management.
2: So we've already talked about risk management in a different context. Right. But part of risk management is identifying the potential risks and what the consequences could be and how you mitigate that. And it's not just our business, but it's also our people. And I, um, my parents were really good at whenever I faced something and had my own career challenges and life challenges and other things. So like, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I was young and I was taking some risk. Okay. Well, so the worst thing that's going to happen is you have to sell your car, you move in with your brother and you go back to school. Like that's maybe the worst thing that's going to happen. Um, at different points in my career, it's been different things. So I, I live with that to a certain degree. I am definitely a risk taker. My motto would be when opportunity knocks, open the door. Um, and part of that is is recognize, well, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen?
1: Very interesting trick that I heard about that is don't ask the question once. Don't ask the question twice. Like go to the rock bottom sometimes. And this is especially when developing people. The group that taught taught me it, I don't remember the name of the group, but their their concept was an elevator. You're going up and down, right? and and it's an emotional roller coaster and everything like that. But until you get to the ground floor of what is that base issue that's risk? that's driving that risk, um, whether it's a personal behavior or a need or a value or something that's driving it, you won't be able to clearly understand why it's holding you personally back if it is around people development. So it's just something to think about is when you do those risk assessments, don't just stop at what you think is the worst. Try and go one step further because that could be the worst. And then it helps you to identify the fears that you have with that. Well, it's your tolerance, right? What we're talking
0: about is risk tolerance. And I think that's one thing that's it's difficult for me to understand because our business is inherent with a whole lot of risk and a whole lot of failure. And we're comfortable with that. And we mitigate it to the point that we're comfortable with it. You know, going back to the productivity conversation we had a few episodes ago, cyber risk is not high on people's radars. Why? Because they feel like it's happening all the time and they've done everything they can do to mitigate it. And they just have to tolerate that it's going to happen. And they have to have a remediation and containment plan available when it happens. But I think we just have to think about our tolerance for some of these issues. So it's not just the, like you said, what could go wrong? How far down does the elevator have to fall before we are just not tolerant of it falling anymore? you know, and think of it that way. So what is the worst, worst case scenario that we can accept and how are we going to mitigate that? And then that can reestablish our threshold for the tolerance. You know, I think it's just a, a conversation about understanding what risk we're willing to take, because you have
3: to take a. In some cases, a very risky decision in order to reap some great rewards. I have to tell you some of the best advice I ever got from a leader, uh, one of my mentors, and it was when I was in sales. And I, sales is the hardest job ever because you are in front of the customer all the time while that customer <laughs> is open, right? But I was really stressed out one day, and he says to me, Maggie, what's the worst that can happen? They could kill you, and you know what, Maggie? They can't kill you. Like murder is illegal; they will go to prison. So, like, if that's the worst that can happen like it's not that bad right and I was like Ray I I see what you're saying but they're calling me again and it's 10 o'clock on Friday night but
1: um, it's just (laughs) best leadership usually usually the worst thing that I tell my team can happen is they say no so your sales (laughs) leadership was a little bit different training methods than what I bring to my team (laughs) they'll go to prison it's illegal Maggie and I was like okay okay I, I gotcha Like I said, sometimes you have to take it to the extreme to make it a little bit easier to understand that it's not really that bad. (laughs) So, Victoria, what you may or may not know is that we like to end on a fun note every single time. We like to make sure that we let our listeners get to know us a little bit more. So uh, we usually end with a few fun questions. The whole idea behind this is to be short quick, responsive. We're going to go around the room, and all four of us will respond to all of these questions. And so let's do it in under 30 seconds, ladies, each. So I'm going to start it off. If you could share a meal with anyone, living or dead, who would that be? So I'll start with Victoria. Uh, my dad. He
2: died almost eight years ago, and I would love to have another meal with him.
1: That's awesome. Maggie.
3: Maggie. Doug Flutie. No, hands down. Doug Flutie and Kennedy from MTV and Kennedy Saves the
1: World podcast because she's smart. And
3: I was going to ask went. if it was all
1: at the same table, but you just yes. answered that.
3: <laughs> so. Absolutely. All
1: day long. Is this
2: a Flutie hotness from his college
3: days or is it a at Flutie now thing? Or he just can this? do everything, right? Except for Dancing with the Stars, <laughs> but he can do everything that he puts his mind to except Dancing with the Stars.
1: He was awful. that. I still watch, but awful. Beth, what about you?
0: I'm the same as Victoria, my dad.
1: Well, I would like to have a meal with um, a few different people all at the same table because I'd like to hear them all talk together. So I think that Oppenheimer, Jim Lovell, and I would like to also have um, one of the many different political leaders out there just all at the same table just to listen. I like hearing different points of view. I don't know which political leader. I'll throw Kennedy out there just because he was like, that's what came to mind after Maggie said that. But (laughs) anyways, Maggie, what's your question? What song do you sing at karaoke? Beth.
3: Surf, Wax America. Nice. Victoria.
2: I don't have a karaoke song.
3: We'll find one for (laughs) you you. Tell me your song. I might jump in and sing it with you. All right, my song is, you can dance if you want to, you
1: can leave your friends behind, safety dance all day long. Cara? Mine, mine's easy, because I love it. Um, it's the Copacabana. I know okay. it's like a very long song, and everybody likes dancing to it, and I just feel like I'm singing it right now in my head. So, Copacabana. I <laughs> can see you dancing to it. <laughs> Have you yes. heard Dave Grohl's recent rendition? It's awesome. No, I haven't. I literally have the baseline running through my head right now because we did Google it in it. show choir. I'll, I'll, have to do that. <laughs> I'll have to do that. Beth, what do you got?
0: Oh, if you could have a warning label, what would yours be?
2: Warning, contents under pressure. Oh, that's a good one, Victoria.
3: Maggie, Maggie, what's your warning label? Stay away, unraveling chaos.
1: <laughs> Cara, what's your warning label? Be prepared for sudden turns. <laughs> <laughs> because I do not think linearly, <laughs> nor do I speak linearly. What about you? Uh, spicy. Spicy. <laughs> nice. All
2: right. Where's your next vacation? I'm going to take a nice, fun one.
1: I'm going to Cape Canaveral to be an astronaut area, but no. ultimately it's just to get away from the hot of Houston to go to a different beach and be hot there. And be very hot. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Maybe. I am going to Charleston to look for a house. Is that vacation,
1: though? I'm just saying.
3: You That's know, I don't know. I'm going to probably partake in food and drink down there. Okay. okay. So, and Peace. Yeah, look for my golf cart with many drink holders. What about you, Victoria? I am going to London
2: and Paris with my daughter. Okay, you win. You win. I do. <laughs> uh, a long, well, it was a trip that we were supposed to take in 2020, but we all know what happened in 2020. So.
1: We're finally getting to it.
0: Yay, Beth! I'm going down to Texas see some girlfriends.
1: Just get hotter. It's fine. It's all right. Just you know, tank tops and shorts and dresses, (laughs) sun dresses. Boston. Boston's hot. It's fine. It's fine. It's dry heat. No, it's not. (laughs) It's just hot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been fun.
2: <laughs> it, has it, it's it has been it has been a fun long conversation but I think um I think we got to know each other and I think uh the guests or the listeners of the chemical show and the listeners of the wind podcast are both going to learn a lot about each of us um and our our businesses and our industry and what we do so it's been great getting to share the microphone with each of you so thanks for doing yeah, this. It thanks, is. Victoria. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing, and we'll talk to you again soon.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review and follow WEN on social media. I hope to see you next time.